You're listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Amen. You can have a seat. Good to be with you this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bible. If you don't have one, you can grab one out of the seat in front of you or you can pull out your phone. But we're going to be this morning in John chapter 14. And so you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible. If you are new with us this morning, we welcome you. We are in the second week of a new series that's called God's Promises and My Response. And through chapter 14, we're going to be looking at the, res- the promise of God's all-surpassing peace. This promise that comes from Philippians 4.17. But I want us to start here. We're going to get there in a little bit. But I want us to start here in John's chapter 14. Starting in 13, John gives us a record of the most intimate moment that Jesus has with his disciples. In fact, it's a record that's going to start in chapter 13. And it's going to go all the way through chapter 17. John sets the stage in verse 1 of 13. He says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the fullest extent. And that love would be demonstrated in chapter 13 as Jesus, who is fully God, who is with God as the universe and everything was spoken into existence as Jesus would get down on his knees and wash the feet of these disciples. He would wash the feet of the one who was going to betray him. And he would wash the feet of the one who was going to deny him. And he would wash the feet of all the others who would scatter at the moment of his arrest. Jesus had told them that all of this was going to happen. But his words had never quite sunk in. Nearly every time he talked about it up to this point, he was met with confusion He was met with denial and even anger. We see Peter get angry at Jesus because of these things that he had been telling him. But now the time has come for the fulfillment of the promise. The time has come for everything to happen exactly the way Jesus said it would. And of course, now that the moment has come, the disciples find themselves dismayed. They find themselves heartbroken uncertain of the reality of what life would look like without their teacher in their friend. Unrest would be a good word for what they're experiencing. The closest that I think you and I can get to this is by hearing that a loved one of ours only has a few hours to live. That's, that's the feeling that they get. A couple, I guess it was last year at some point, we were at dinner as a family. Uh, I think it was for mom's birthday or something like that. And Mom was on Facebook at dinner because she plays on her phone while we're eating dinner. And she saw this post that a great uncle of mine, this is my dad's uncle, had only two hours to live because he had been diagnosed with a a disease. And so obviously mom shares this with the table and the atmosphere just completely changes as, as it normally would. And so she sends a text message to my aunt and says, you know, what, what's going on here? We didn't even know he was sick. What's happening? And she says, oh, no, I, I, there's a typo in the, the message on Facebook. It wasn't supposed to say two hours. It was supposed to say two years. He has two years to live. And, and it is a sad thing to find out that, that a relative has just two years to live. But you have never seen a family so excited to learn 
that a man has two years to live when just moments before he was hours away from death, right? This is the way we break news to people now because the timing made the difference for us. Right? When, when it's two hours, that, that's a big difference than two years. And, and the disciples had been hearing these things from Jesus about what was going to happen to him, and they were able to, to separate themselves from it. But now that the time has come, now that they're only hours away from his death, it becomes real. And Jesus, loving them to the fullest extent, knows even better than they do what's going on in their hearts. And so chapter 14 is all about Jesus comforting his friends. Jesus comforting these men who had been walking beside him. In fact, we get that, that famous verse, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? In my, in my father's house are many rooms. And if I'm going there to prepare a place for you, then I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. That was Jesus comforting his disciples. But I want us to look in verse 27. Because Jesus continues to do this when he says this. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so in the last moments of his life on earth, facing the most unimaginable pain, not only of dying a sinner's death, but of bearing the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, Jesus' primary concern was for their peace. He looked into their faces. He stared into their eyes. He saw the expression of fear. And because he loved them to the fullest extent, he says that he is going to leave them with something when he goes. He's going to leave them with peace. But it isn't just any kind of peace. See, Peace is a concept that can be defined in many ways depending upon who you ask. We all have an idea in our minds of what peace looks like depending on what makes us feel the safest in the moment. In fact, Jesus' very words here point us to at least two definitions of the types of peace that we find. First, he implies that there is a kind of peace that is offered by the world. There's a kind of peace that is offered by the world. I call it just-in-case peace. But generally, we refer to it as peace of mind. This is the kind of peace that is offered by the world. And every insurance company, regardless of what type of insurance they are selling, is appealing to this kind of peace. So when you see the farmer's insurance commercials, right? The guy buys the brand new car at the car lot, and as he's driving away, the giant inflatable gorilla crashes down on his hood. And they say, we've got you covered for that. That's just in case peace. Or the mayhem guy on the Allstate commercials who's wreaking havoc everywhere he goes, or the phrase, stop knocking on wood because you don't need luck when we have all of your assets covered. This is the kind of peace that the world is offering just in case peace. Health insurance just in case you get sick. Life insurance for your family in case you die. Car insurance in case you wreck. Homeowner's insurance in case your house burns down. We seek out this kind of peace of mind, but it goes bigger than insurance. We choose to live in places based on whether we're going to feel safe in those places. 
My wife used to work as a civilian analyst for the Louisville Metro Police Department. And so she knew all the places in Louisville you should not go. And she would say, don't go there. That's a red dot on my map. And that means that bad things have happened there. And if you go there, bad things are potentially going to happen to you, right? We seek out safe areas because we don't want to be in danger. We buy the right security system, the right locks, the guns, the knowledge that the police are right around the corner in case we need them. We want to know that the government has our best interests at heart and they're going to pass laws that keep us safe. We crave this sense of security. And the world has no shortage of companies and products and institutions and laws and organizations that are designed to give this to us, to help us with this just-in-case mentality. And in general, some of these things are needed, and they can be very helpful, but there are two characteristics that make this kind of peace problematic. First, it's external. That means that it's entirely based on the circumstances that are happening around me in my life. It's dependent upon certain criteria being met that I have decided is important, and peace all of a sudden becomes elusive when that criteria isn't met in my life. So it's external. Secondly, it's temporary. It's a kind of peace that isn't going to last forever. I'll just give you a silly example. When I was a teenager back in early high school, I loved Friday nights because I went out and partied. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't go out and party. I did exactly what you thought I would do, right? I loved Friday nights and and I loved it because most often on Friday nights, I would be home by myself. That was the, the biggest appeal of Friday night because mom and dad would usually work until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. My brother and sister, who were wildly more popular than I was, they would make plans with their friends and they would go out with their friends. And so if all of these things aligned, I would get the house to myself on Friday nights. And I had a routine of how to make it just right. The very first thing I would do is my homework because I knew that if I didn't do my homework, that I was going to be worried about it the whole weekend. I was just going to have to do it on Sunday. So I get that out of the way. The second thing that I would do is I would clean the house. Like mom and dad had the cleanest house when they came home from work on Friday nights because I, I would do that. I would spend as much time as I needed to get the house just where I wanted it to be. And then once it was clean, I would make something to eat for myself, and I would sit down and I would watch my favorite block of TV on ABC. It was TGIF. Do you guys remember TGIF, right? Like four of my favorite shows as a kid were on TV. And, and that would be my entire Friday night until I would just fall asleep in peaceful bliss, right? Like all of those things were important to me. So, so what happened if, if those conditions weren't being met? Well, first of all, if anybody was still at the house, it was, you would chalk it up to a disaster. Nothing was going to go right the rest of the night because somebody else was there with me. Or if I had a big project that I couldn't get done on Friday and I was just going to be anxious about it the whole weekend, or if I couldn't get the house clean to my standard so that I could relax, or if all of these shows were on reruns. You see where I'm going with this? Like All of these external criteria had to be met, and even if they were, Friday was going to come to an end, and I was going to be just waiting for Monday at school again, right? just praying that next Friday nobody's at home. So it was temporary. It wasn't going to last. Now, now that's a silly example, but it speaks to the bigger picture of how we view peace in our day-to-day lives. 
that things need to line up perfectly for me in order to feel safe and secure. The weather needs to do just the right thing or, or I need something to happen so that I can feel like I'm comfortable today, that I can have this kind of peace of mind and then I'll be able to rest. But the reality is that those things rarely line up the way that we want them to. There's always gonna be something that gets in the way of that kind of peace. Insurance policies are gonna lapse and diseases are gonna get missed and houses and safe neighborhoods are gonna get robbed or burned down. War's gonna break out. Loved ones are going to die. No matter how much we plan, purchase, or trust in these things to give us peace of mind, something is going to go south. Something's not gonna match up with criteria that I have in mind for what is going to give me peace. In fact, Jesus told us this would happen. Just a few chapters later in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He said you will have trouble. That's a guarantee. Now, if I knew that you were an anxious person, if I knew that you were upset, if I knew that you were worried about something, the last thing that I'm going to tell you is, hey, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> like, like, things are gonna go badly for you, right? I'm, like, that's not the right words to speak to an anxious person. I know because I'm, I'm a generally anxious person. <laughs> I was out in the lobby one time and somebody walked by and said, you look a little nervous. Are you nervous? And I said, man, I am always just a little nervous, like just about everything. And that's not the thing that I want people to say to me. Hey, things are going to go bad. So why does Jesus say it? Why, why does he look at his disciples who are already brokenhearted and struggling with what's going on and said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. We look back at what he said to them in verse 27 of chapter four, when he speaks to two kinds of peace, the first being this peace of mind that the world is offering, and then he says, I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, his heart for his disciples and his heart for you and me wasn't simply to leave us with a superficial, external, temporary peace that can be rocked by the slightest variation in how I think things should go. That's not what Jesus is leaving with us. That's not what he's seeking to give us. No, he's offering us a kind of peace that the world cannot offer, no matter how hard it tries. What kind is it? Chapter 14 began with the words, do not let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house are many rooms. Then verse 27, he, he says that phrase again, do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. Even in chapter 16, when he promised trouble, look at what he said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Do you see what his emphasis is? Allstate is selling you peace of mind, but Jesus is leaving you with peace of heart. Peace of heart is far greater than anything the world can offer because it's based in the truth and the reality that Jesus has defeated this world and its troubles. Right? In me you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world and all of its troubles. Take heart because I'm the one who's in control of all of these things. And that reality doesn't negate that we're gonna have challenges. It doesn't cause those challenges to disappear or 
promise that everything is going to go well in our lives. Instead, he gives us something that is entirely based outside of those things. They said, you're gonna have this even if those things happen. Whereas peace of mind is temporary and based on what happens, peace of heart is internal. It doesn't reside out here, it resides in here. It's not at all based on what's going on around me, certainly not based on whether my Friday night goes exactly the way that I want it to go. Not based on whether the stock market stays above a certain level. Not based on whether my plane stays in the air. Not based on whether my loved one survives this thing that they're up against. No, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you peace in spite of this. In spite of all the things that are going around you. That when your world begins to crumble, you can still say in your innermost being, I am at peace. You may or may not be familiar with a man named Horatio Safford. He was a lawyer and Presbyterian elder in the late 19th century. He was a, a Christian, a believing man. After living through the great Chicago fire of 1871 and losing a young son to scarlet fever, he decided that they were gonna go, he and his family were gonna go to England, but he had some business to take care of. And so he sent his wife and his four little girls on a ship across the Atlantic to England. And he was later going to follow after them. Just a few days into the journey in the middle of the night, that wooden ship that they were on was T-boned by an iron ship. In about 12 minutes, it sank to the bottom of the ocean, killing more than 220 people on board. And of those 220, he lost all four of his little girls. Ages three to 11, every one of them drowned. The only surviving member of his family was his wife. The story goes that he had received telegram, he'd received word from her that this had happened. She had made it into England and so he boards a ship to head towards her. But Safford is most famous for penning words that you probably know. He wrote this hymn, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well it is well with my soul. Now, how could a man who had effectively lost everything be able to not just say, but to sing, it is well with my soul? Not only because he had found this internal peace that does not depend on external circumstances, but also because this peace that Jesus is offering is not temporary, it is eternal. It lasts forever, even beyond death. How do we know that? Well, the clue is found in how Jesus phrased the promise of what he was giving his disciples. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. My peace. Jesus's peace. His own personal peace of heart. And of course, we know what he was about to endure. He knew what he was about to endure. And yet he had this peace inside of an innermost being to the extent that he is able to give it to those disciples. Jesus's peace has always been found in the perfect relationship that he's always had with his father. A relationship that has existed from eternity past and that will continue to exist into future eternity and an unbreakable union with God that would not be affected by what was to come. 
They would not be affected by the arrest and the mock trial or the scourging or the pain of being suffocated on a cross. No, none of these horrible things could separate him from his father. That's what Jesus knew. And he knew that in just a short while, he would be right back in his father's kingdom, sitting at his right hand. And and that's where he sits today, 2,000 years later. He knew that was coming. And so with his darkest hour on the horizon, he was giving comfort by letting them know that they could have this peace too. That they, they could have his peace that they could have the kind of peace that he has always enjoyed with the Father. He had come to give them this, peace between them and God. And so, yes, there are hard things in life that we must endure. In this world, you will have trouble. when When we compare those temporary struggles with this promise of eternal peace that's on the same level as the peace Jesus has with his Father, the result is a peace that is not based on those temporary struggles, but outweighs and outlasts them. It goes far beyond. That's what Paul was getting at when he said, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He takes all these really heavy things that we deal with and he says, these are light and momentary in comparison with eternal glory and what's to come. Only that kind of peace of heart, only the peace that Jesus gives could cause a man who has lost so much to say, it is well with my soul. In fact, it defies understanding. We, we, we can't explain it. And that's why Paul also wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now that is an unconditional an unqualified statement in a world that is anxious about many things. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, no no exceptions to that, in every situation, regardless of what your circumstance is, by prayer and petition, that is dependence upon God, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God, And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it's that phrase, surpasses understanding, that tells us something significantly important about the kind of peace that Jesus is leaving for us. And that is that authentic peace of heart cannot be comprehended and it cannot be manufactured. It can only come from God. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding. He has to give it to you in order for you to experience it. And amazingly, I I think it's most often experienced during the times when we should have the least amount of peace by the world standards. That, That when everything is crumbling around us and we're facing life's greatest turmoils and challenges, it's in those moments when everything is going wrong or has gone wrong, and yet we will be overcome with this overwhelming sense of comfort, of peace, that even in those moments when everything is going wrong, we find ourselves smiling. Why? We can't explain it because it comes 
from God, I had difficulty even writing it down because I can't explain it. But you know it if you've experienced it. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and God has given this to you, then you know what it is that I'm talking about. God has promised that if we depend on him for this, then he will give it to us. Jesus went to the cross and left it with us. Real, authentic, internal peace that surpasses understanding and lasts forever. That is the promise that God has given us. So what's our response? How how does this cause me to live? Well, my first response should be to stop depending on the world's peace. To stop depending on peace of mind to satisfy this sense that I need for safety and security. And that's not to say that I can't or shouldn't use some of the things the world has to offer. Those things can and can be and are blessings. Planning for the just in case is a good thing. I have health insurance in case I get sick. I have life insurance because I want my family taken care of if I die. I still lock my doors at night. I'm still thankful that we have police. But these and the other ways the world gives peace of mind cannot be the things that ultimately determine whether I'm at peace in my heart because we know that they're going to fail. Health insurance is little consolation to someone who is dying of cancer and they know they're not going to be here next year. It doesn't suffice for them. Putting my trust in these things is like building on sand. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7 about that. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell hard. See, the promise is that the rains are going to come. The streams are going to rise. The wind is going to blow. Those things are inevitable. And if you have put your security in temporary worldly things instead of the word of God that has promised you this peace, then your house and your life will eventually come crashing down. You'll be left with nothing to grab a hold of. Nothing to grab onto. And so instead of depending on the world's peace, we take hold of the peace that Jesus is offering. We grab a hold of it. And of course, that that has to begin with believing that he is who he says he is. By repenting of our life, of depending on other things, and by being baptized as we've been commanded in Scripture. And if you've not taken those steps, then you'll never come to understand what it is that God is promising you and what it is Jesus is inviting you to. Because remember that the peace that Jesus gives is the peace that he enjoys between himself and the Father, and he can enjoy that because Jesus never sinned, but you have. All of us have. And so if you've not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, then you are still separated by the Father with your sin. And you'll never have peace. You'll never attain it. Jesus went to the cross to accomplish this for you. And so don't continue rejecting it and expect that God is going to assure you that everything is okay. It's not. Because even if everything goes well the rest of your life, you're still gonna find yourself outside of him when you die. And so believe and repent and be baptized and take hold of this peace that Jesus is offering you today. And once you do that, 
Where if you've already done that, then we respond by taking hold of that peace every single moment of every single day. Not not just a head knowledge that you're saved from your sin by his blood, but a heart understanding that you get to share in the peace Jesus has with his Father. That we get to participate in this. It's an amazing thing. That we get to be a part of this relationship, this perfect relationship that Jesus has with his Father. J.I. Packer writes, there is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life, through death, and on forever. God's favor for eternity. So why do we have this peace that surpasses understanding? Because like Jesus, I know. I'm convinced that once I'm through this trial and the next one and the next one, no matter how frequent or difficult, that in just a short while, I will get to see my God in all of his fullness and glory. That's the end goal, and yet God has given this peace to me today while I look forward to that. And so we take hold of it. And once we've taken hold of it, we lean into our circumstances knowing that God is working in all things. We're gonna look at that promise more fully next weekend, so I'll only say that with our newfound and everlasting peace, we can face even the worst of situations knowing that God is using all of it for his good and for his glory. Many of you know that our family has had a very difficult year. We faced the most unimaginable tragedy and found ourselves trying to, figure out what was next. And it was certainly one of those situations where we were trying to figure out what is God doing with this? God, God, I know that you've promised to do something with this, but but what is it? Because we're having trouble seeing how it can be used in this way. And, And we can certainly never know the fullest extent of how he's using it, but I can tell you personally what I experienced out of it. Because in my darkest moments of personal struggle, There was one song in particular that reminded me of this all-surpassing peace that defies understanding. That over and over again, either on loop in my mind or in my car was the song, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. 150 years ago, a man lost his entire family And that loss, that grief, caused him to write this song that has been an encouragement to millions of believers for the last 150 years, up until 2022, when I, and and I know many of my family, got to be encouraged by that very song. What was God doing with it? He was doing something amazing with it that we get to draw an encouragement from this. And then I ask myself, what is God doing with my situation? Well, for me, at the very least, he showed me just one more time that our struggles are light and momentary when compared with the weight of eternal glory. He showed it to me just one more time because I needed to be reminded of it again. That this life is not all there is. We praise God for that. And that there is something infinitely greater waiting for me.
that even in the worst situation, the state of my soul has not been affected by what's going on out here. It hasn't been changed. And that one day, C.S. Lewis says, heaven will work backwards and turn even our agony into glory. And I get to carry on everyone every day with this reminder for the rest of my life into the next struggle that will inevitably come and the next one after that until eventually, eventually, I get to experience the fullness of God's glory and share in the peace that Jesus enjoys with his Father. That is the promise that God has given us through his word and that is the response. And my, my hope for you is that you would respond. And maybe, maybe that means that you need to respond first by just accepting what God has done through Jesus Christ for you. Because you'll not have peace until you do at, at least that. To accept the reality that Jesus came to die for your sins and that we can enjoy perfect relationship with the Father in that. And so if that's where you are today, then, then I invite you to respond to that. But if you've already accepted that invitation, and yet you find yourself day after day after day in a season of unrest, not being able to find peace, maybe you need to grab a hold of the peace that Jesus is offering. Maybe you've not fully grasped it yet and you need someone to just come alongside you and remind you of the great promise of what's to come, that God has given you what you need today to get through this situation. So the invitation for you to come, to be prayed with, and to be encouraged. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is not all there is. Lord, if it were, we would have no hope for anything. And yet we stand now in this room praising you because we know, we know that not only do we look forward to a day when we get to stand in your presence and see you in your glory, just as Jesus experiences you. But Lord, because today, right now, in this moment, no matter what situation we may be facing, we may find ourselves all of a sudden overwhelmed, overcome by a great comfort, a great peace that can only come from you. Lord, we depend on you for that. We need that. We need that to get us through the things that we're facing today and the things that we'll eventually face tomorrow. And so may we be overcome by this all-surpassing peace that defies understanding. And may that lead us to lean into our circumstances, knowing that you're working in all things. We love you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You need to come. This is your opportunity to respond.